Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma, and it's so good to have you along for today's program. We have Jamie Ogle with us. She is a first-time guest on the show, but she has a wonderful book called Of Love and Treason, so I'm dying to dive into that with her. But before we get to that, welcome to anybody who is new here. So glad that you found the podcast. I hope that you subscribe to it so that you get notified when new episodes release. We have lots of great authors coming up in the coming months. Also, check us out on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Pinterest. Christian Historical Fiction Talk is in all of those places. It's another great way to keep up with the podcast. And also we have fun over there. We talk books and historical fiction and all that kind of stuff. And every now and again, you get the chance to give input to the podcast for a specific episode. So you don't want to miss out on that opportunity there either. And also, everyone, if you wouldn't mind heading over to LizTolsma.com and checking out my Patreon over there, you can sign up at different levels, but no matter which level you sign up at, you will get early access to the show and you will get bonus content as well. And if you sign up at other levels, you get the opportunity to be in a book drawing every month. So You'll want to be sure to check that out and support the podcast. I really, really do appreciate that. Okay, all of those preliminaries are now out of the way. And so please help me in welcoming Jamie Ogle to the show today, here to talk about her new book of love and treason. Welcome to the show today, Jamie. It's really good to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Liz. This is this is a fun. Yes. I was so excited. Somebody emailed me and said, have you heard about Jamie Ogle's new book of love and treason? It is so good. You have to have her on the podcast. (laughs) So that is immediately what I did. I went and got you signed up to come onto the podcast. And so it's just my pleasure. And I'm so glad that we could make this work out. Oh, thank you for having me. Before we get into talking about the book of Love and Treason, which is, as we'll find out, very appropriate for this time of year, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, I'm Jamie from Minnesota, originally born and raised there, and currently live in Iowa, central Iowa, with my husband and our three kids, who are 10, 8, and (laughs) 4. We homeschool and just kind of, yeah hang out in the woods and outside and have honeybees and gardens and stuff like that. So that's sort of when I'm not writing or reading, that's where you can find me. Oh, that sounds wonderful. How do you like the homeschooling experience? Most of the time it's awesome and we love it. And then, you know, there are days where you're like, oh my goodness, (laughs) are we doing this? (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's been great. I, I love to see them like, growing and being able to kind of tailor the lessons to how they need to understand everything. So that's been a challenge, but also really fun. Yes, we homeschooled for a number of years and it was fun on most days. And like you said, challenging on some, but very rewarding in the end. And I would definitely do it again. Yeah, for sure. It's been great. So 
So as I mentioned, the book is Of Love and Treason. So why don't you share with the listeners what the book is all about? Yeah, so the book is set in Rome in the year 270 in the wake of Emperor Claudius II's marriage ban. And rumors begin swirling through the city that there is one man, brave or foolish enough, to perform wedding ceremonies in secret. And Valentine is a public notarius and leader of an underground church, and he believes that the emperor's edict is unjust, and so he risks his life for the sake of his convictions and begins marrying couples in secret. But as his fame grows and spreads through the city, fears for his safety grow as well. And the story is also about Iris, who's the daughter of a Roman jailer, and she believes that regaining her sight will ease the mounting troubles at home. And her last hope rests in searching out Valentine and his church, but the danger of associating with people who are labeled a threat to the empire is pretty great. But as Iris's new friends lead her to faith in God, and her and Valentine are sort of drawn together, they begin to hope for a future beyond the treacherous empire. But when a past debt and staggering betrayal collide, Valentine, Iris, and everyone they love must fight for their lives and wrestle with how to trust a God who can give sight to the blind, but doesn't always keep his followers from peril. Wow. And just sounds fantastic. Very unique setting, a very unique look at this time period. So what made you want to write about Valentine? And I guess maybe before we even get to that, this Mm -hmm. is a story about the person we know as St. Valentine, who, of course, we have St. Valentine's Day in honor of, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. But as I when I started this story, I didn't really know the origins. I didn't really know the origin story of Valentine's Day. I just sort of looked at Valentine's Day as this like very commercialized kind of dumb holiday, like we're just, you know, buying cards and flowers and candy. I'm not against love by any means, but I just thought it was kind of a silly holiday until one day I was just like, okay, why do we even have this? This is kind of dumb. So I looked up the story and was just totally captured by it. And I wanted more and started looking for the novel or the movie or something someone had to have written in the last 1700 years. And I couldn't find one. And the story just kept turning over and over in my head. And I started writing down snippets of scenes or conversations that would just pop in. And pretty soon I had written the first draft. So based on someone we know who was a historical figure, what is true about the book and what's not true? Like one thing I was really wondering is Emperor Claudius's ban on marriage really true? I mean, according to these legends, it was, but we don't have any surviving documents that would back that up. So for some of this story, I had to operate under this idea of, okay, if this story is true, how might it have gone down based on the history we do know, the culture we know, the surviving laws that are, you know, from that time. And so just kind of piecing together how this could have happened. That's very interesting. And sometimes you do have to do that with historical fiction, don't you? Just sort of take what you have and sort of sew it all together into something because you don't have all the little bits and pieces. There are puzzle pieces that aren't there that you get to fill in. 
Yeah. And that was fun, but also a challenge too. Yes, I'm sure it was. So sort of hand in hand with that would then be your research. You must have had to do a lot of research in to what was life like in 270 in Rome. So tell us about your research process and how you found all these little tidbits and things. Yeah. So like I said, I started with the legends and sort of operated under like, okay, let's just, let's say these stories are true and it happened like this. What pieces of culture do I need to understand in order to kind of fit this in? And so, oh, I read, I read so much. The wonderful thing about the Roman empire is there, there's no shortage of books and documentaries and information on it. And so, which was really helpful and also slightly overwhelming because it's like, where do you even begin? But I had some just great people around me that I could kind of tap into and be like, hey, I'm I'm looking for information on this. Do you have any books that you could recommend or documents that I should look into? And so I had a lot of help just in good book and resource recommendations there. And our library, local library was awesome in getting all the weird, obscure <laughs> books that I needed to look at. And also, I mean, I'm sure they were a little bit concerned when I'm like, I have this whole stack of like Roman law and books on like gladiators and things with the title of like blood in the sand and spectacles of death. <laughs> My husband's like, I'm a little bit concerned and I know you, but like the librarians don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but they were good. They they got everything I needed. So, yes, I've spoken to more than one author. I think it doesn't matter whether they're historical or contemporary who just worries about the government ever getting hold of their search history on the internet <laughs> because <laughs> I think a bunch of us could be tr in trouble if that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, yeah, it could be a little creepy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about St. Valentine with the love and the flowers and the cards and the candy and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. But this is really no light romance at all. So tell yeah. us sort of what else goes on in the story and what you want the reader to take away from all of that. So as the story kind of progresses, you have Valentine and Iris people at differing parts of the, I don't know, he's a Christian and she's a pagan and also the daughter of a Roman jailer. So their paths probably shouldn't be crossing, but they do. And she's sort of keeping her her friendship with Valentine a secret from her family. But then we find out there's, there's other people in this story too. And they're all kind of, they're all connected to Valentine in some way and all keeping that information from each other until it all kinds of comes in, comes to a head in the end. So there's a lot of sort of intrigue and moving parts to the story. But I think the thing I, I came away with was just the fact that it's not your typical romance with a, you know, riding off into the sunset happily ever after type of story. But stories don't always need that to be happy. I think I... I wrestled with this story a lot because there were things that I wanted to happen and I was looking for every loophole possible to make the ending the way I wanted it to be. And it wasn't 
I, I couldn't do it. And so I just kind of had to sit back and think, okay, if stories don't always end the way we want them to, like real life doesn't always end the way we want it to. We all face disappointments, but does that mean that God is not good or that he stopped caring for us or stopped leading us or he just kind of looked away for a minute? And it was really just realizing that if we can only trust God when he is good and he gives us everything we want, then he's not God in our life. We are, and our desires are our idol and our God. So as I was writing this and there was things going on in my life where I was you know, facing disappointment, unanswered prayers or prayers that were answered only to you know, get that no later on and just sort of wrestling with that in my own life. How can I trust God when he's not giving me what I think he should give me? And, you know, is he still good and can I still trust him? And so the characters are sort of dealing with this at the same time. And just how we can, we can still trust God, even if we don't get what we want. He is ultimately good and he can see far more than we can see. And just looking at the story of Joseph and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and just a lot of history, really, where it looks like it's for those people in the moment was terrible, horrible for Joseph to be sold away from his family into slavery. But God saw the end of that story and that he would save so many. And so I think that is the hope part in of love and treason and in our own lives as we're going through these times that are really dark, that we can trust that God is good and he can see the end result of, of where this where this is going. What a beautiful message. I just love that. It's such a beautiful answer to that question and really very apropos for the world that we live in today. And throughout history, down through history, people have struggled with that because like you said, life is full of disappointments. So you mentioned that this is a story that happened 1700 years ago. And a lot of people would say, well, how can ancient Rome and what happened there be applicable to my life today? So how did you take something that happened so long ago and make it fresh? I don't know. I just, I I started writing and the characters just sort of came alive. I wasn't really forcing them to do anything. And all of a sudden they were just interacting and being really funny and they felt real like people that were walking around today. I wasn't trying to model them after anybody I knew, but they just sort of turned into people who, I don't know, I'd hang out with them. (laughs) Most of them. (laughs) Gosh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think relatable characters is a really good answer to that because if Readers can't relate to the characters, and especially if the author can't even relate to the characters that they're writing, then, yeah, there's no point in really reading about it. So that's a lot of our goal as authors. So if you can do that, I think it does make it fresh and make it interesting, even though it happened so long ago. I was reading some of the reviews of this book, and somebody in the reviews compared you to Francine Rivers and Francine Rivers actually endorsed the book. So how does it feel, first of all, to have Francine Rivers endorse it? And second of all, how does it feel to be compared to her? I don't, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, 
when I first, that was the first endorsement that came back and I had no idea that my publisher had even asked her to read it. So to get that email saying like, Hey, you got an early endorsement. Here it is. And to see it was, it was Francine Rivers was like, I mean, I, I, I ran to the bathroom and shut the door and just started crying. Because the Mark of the Lion series was one I'd held off reading it for so long because everyone was just gushing about it and I was never into trends and so I held off for so long and then then I finally read it. I'm not even sure how it ended up at my house. I still don't know where these books came from. I don't think I bought them. I have them though. But oh, I read them and it changed. It changed my life. (laughs) It sounds. Mm silly to say maybe, but they had such a deep impact on my faith and just wanting to deepen my relationship with God and be like Hadassah and love others and serve others. And it was such, those are such powerful stories. And I, it's still unbelievable that someone even said my story was, was like that, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So we'll get to some easier questions here. All right. I <laughs> <Thank> promise. <you. laughs> Beekeeping. First of all, mm-hmm. that's something I would never do because I'm like terrified of bees. But how did you get into beekeeping? I was in third grade and I was homeschooled. And my third grade science book had this little chapter on bug collecting and insects. And I, and you know, the project was like, start a bug collection. And it told you how to like preserve them and stick them onto foam boards and label them and all that. So I was like, well, that looks interesting. I'll try that. And I did it. And I thought it was so fun. And I took over my sister's playhouse and turned it into this bug laboratory. And I know I'm making myself sound super weird, but I... (laughs) (laughs) I just think bugs are kind of fascinating. And so, oh gosh, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, my husband gave me some, some bee equipment for Christmas and it was like the best and how I can collect bugs and they're alive, but they're so fascinating and so fun. I could just be out there for hours just watching them and I'm not hardcore yet. So I still wear the full suit and gloves, but yeah, they're fascinating and it's, I mean, you get the bonus of honey in the in the fall, so that's fun. And it's getting more and more important. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who just have backyard bee collections because they really need bees. We really need bees to continue pollinating. Their yeah. numbers are down. So, yeah, very important yeah, job sure. as well that you're doing. As I was looking on your website, too, it sounds like you have a really fascinating family history. And so we're going to have to sit down sometime, you and I, and just sort of talk family histories. But why don't you just share with the listeners just a little bit, maybe one story or something that's really neat about your ancestors. Both sides of my my dad's parents and mom's parents, they're both had amazing, crazy lives, I think. <laughs> my mom grew up on a farm and, and yet m- my grandma there was sort of the she grew up kind of wealthy and they had electricity and then she married this farmer and they didn't have any electricity and she was scared of the dark and would hide in the closet with a lantern with all the kids while grandpa was out milking the cows. Which sounds oh 
which sounds <laughs> more scary than the dark, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. Really. <laughs> um, but then my my dad's mom was just very adventurous. And after she married my grandpa, they moved to Alaska and panned for gold out in the bush and got held up at gunpoint okay. and all their gold was stolen. And they had to, I don't know, they have all kinds of grizzly bear stories and it was just very exciting. Every time they came down for dinner, there was just always a new story or an old one retold. And it was a lot of fun to grow wow. up around storytellers like that. I'll bet. I'll bet. And it's, so it sounds like you come by your creativity and your storytelling capabilities, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up thinking that telling stories was just something everybody did. Like, this is just a normal thing that everybody does. And I don't know, sort of is, but sort of isn't. Yeah, right. Well, we hope after reading Love and Treason that there is going to be something more from you in the future. Can you tell us what you're working on next? Yeah, so book two is written and turned in. We start editing next month, but that one takes place in the early, let's see, fourth century, shortly after the, the Valentine story. And we get to see characters from Of Love and Treason. But the main story is a retelling of the legends of St. Nicholas. So it's set on the turquoise shores of what is modern day Turkey, but was then the region of Asia Minor. So I don't know. It's really fun story. Yeah. You get the beaches in the ocean and divers and all that fun stuff. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And then you juxtapose all of that with what us Northerners anyway think of, of St. Nicholas and Christmas with the snow and all that. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's a different good. take on St. Nicholas when you're, you know, he's on a beach in the sunshine and not yeah. in cold winter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So do you have a release date for that then? It will be the spring of 25, possibly March, but I'm not sure if we have a hard date set yet. Okay. All right. Well, that is something definitely to be looking forward to. If listeners would like to keep in touch with you so that they find out more about Of Love and Treason and find out when the next book comes out, how can they go about connecting with you? Yeah. If you head to my website, which is jamieogle.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and get all first dibs on all the news for just books, giveaways, fun announcements, things like that. You'll also get my free novelette, which is set in the 1500s. And then you can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Goodreads, BookBub, all those things are linked on my website there. So you can just, yeah, find the links to all that there. All right. Well, that sounds fabulous. Jamie, it's been so much fun getting to know you and learning about Of Love and Treason. So we thank you for taking time out of a very busy day to come and speak to us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Liz. This has been fun. What a fascinating topic that Jamie picked for her book and just so well written, so well done definitely one that you were going to want to check out. And I am already waiting on tenterhooks for her book about St. Nicholas. So there's always something good coming up. So be sure to go to Jamie's website and subscribe to her newsletter so that you get all the details about that. 
And if you need to find out how to get to her website or want to find out more about her, get a link to Of Love and Treason or find out more about that book, then head over to LizTolsma.com. I will have all that information there for you in one handy place. You can find it either on the front page of my website or click on the podcast tabs and that will take you right to it. So be sure to check that out. Next week, we have another first time guest on the show and that is Abby Downey. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe she is another person who was recommended to me that her book was so good, I had to have her on the show. The book is called An Uncertain Road. So I am really looking forward to my conversation with Abby and having her on the show here so that we can all get to know her together. It's exciting to have new authors on or new to us, first-time guests, I guess I should be saying, on the show here so that we have our old favorites, but we get to learn something new about some other authors as well. So be sure to come back next week for my chat with Abby Downey. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much for sharing with your friends and family. I do appreciate it. The show continues to grow, and I'm just amazed by that, and it's all thanks to you guys. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next time.